127 through 128. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb are a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. May God bless the reading of this word. Today, Pastor Jeff Huang will be preaching on the topic of unless the Lord builds it from Psalm 127 to 128, continuing our sermon series on the church unleashed. There's a song that I'd listened to many times before when I would exercise and work out. And in the song, there's this line that gets repeated over and over and over again. It goes like this, work it, make it, do it, makes us harder, better, faster, stronger. Why do these lyrics resonate? And when you're working out, oh, I think because when you're trying to push out one more rep, these lyrics almost literally push you to go harder and better and faster and stronger. It's about effort. It's about resolve, your own resolve. It's about pushing through putting in the work to get the output you want. And in that sense, I think it aligns pretty well also with uh, the characteristic trait of being self-disciplined. And that's what you need to work it, to make it, to do it, so that you can be harder, better, faster, stronger. And so then there'll be no finish line you can't cross, uh, no ceiling you can't break through. You, you just have to set your mind to it Put in the effort. And honestly, I think that probably will work for a lot of cases. It'll probably will work pretty decently well if you're trying to uh, shed some weight or write your thesis or finish a project for school or for work. But you know where it doesn't work out too well? When you're trying to raise a child. And particularly when you're trying to raise a child to know and love Jesus. I consider myself more or less pretty disciplined. You know, I have a workflow for the different things I need to do for home and church. I, I, I do my best to get things done and, and try and get it done on time. When life happens and things change, I try to adapt. Now, I shift things around. I sacrifice one thing for another thing so that I can make it work. And I try to put all this effort in and try to make the effort count. Also that all that effort translates to an, to an outcome that I want. But I think the reality is that, is that no matter how disciplined I am, how much effort I put in, I, I realize that when you're raising a child, I can't guarantee 
that my effort alone will solidify his outcome, that he will grow up to know and love Jesus. You know, if, if I work it, make it, do it, it might make me harder, better, faster, stronger, but not necessarily him, my, my, my child. And maybe that's part of the reason why Yin and I pray to God almost every single night for our son's salvation and his sanctification even before he was born. We're starting a new sermon series today that will take us through the summer. Unless the Lord builds it, being a Christian family in 2021. It's a topical series, and so we're going to be looking at different relationships and nuances of being a family in Christ. Does this mean you need to be married, though, with kids for this to be relevant? No, definitely not. Just, so just to give you a preview, we're going to cover a whole wide range of topics. Things like marriage, but also singleness. Husbands and also wives. Parents, but also children. And even, even loving, unbelieving family members. What that looks like. And on the flip side, for maybe for some of you guys, growing up in a Christian home. And the quote-unquote dangers of that. I think at one point we'll even talk about friendship because you know, some of us may not have family who go to Crossbridge, but we have some friends here who are, are pretty much family. Now, at this point, it, it might be worth mentioning that a, a little while ago, we, we made a subtle addition, a subtle change to our weekly Friday announcements email. And that was thanks to the suggestion of one of our CB members. And so if you scroll to the bottom of that email, there's a section for upcoming sermons. And I think it shows like the next three sermons, who's preaching, the text, the, the, the title. The intent here, hopefully, because I know maybe we have some simple nature or whatever, that the intent here is not so that people can be like, you know, oh man, Pastor Jeff and whichever Pastor Jeff you're thinking about, he's preaching two Sundays from now? Yeah, forget that. I'm going to Bedside Baptist. Or, oh man, the, that topic for that week or that passage for that week is so boring. So irrelevant. I don't want to listen to that. I guess it's pillow Presbyterian for me this week. Now, we, we put this in the email. It's there because so that you can see what's coming. And, and even so, so that if you want to read and study the passage, you can ahead of time. So this sermon series, Unless the Lord Builds It. I mean, really, we could apply it to all spheres of life. That's a, that's a truth of God's sovereignty. But we're probably applying it most directly to family. That's the point of the sermon series. And even, I think, the point of the passage today, we see that in our passage as he draws upon these family examples. Now, it also speaks to the ingredients for success, that it depends on God. Raising a family, building a house depends on God. So if you're watching at home, you can pick up your phone, find your Bible app, swipe with me to Psalm 127, 128. We're going to be looking at two psalms today and both kind of talk about success or blessing and, and how they come from God. And the point we see with this first psalm, Psalm 127, is this, that laboring without the Lord is a lost cause. It's in vain. That's the word most translations use. It's a lost cause. It's useless. It's worthless. It's, it's toil. You know, at the same time, we'll probably want to ask, how is it vain? How is it a lost cause? Because you and I probably know plenty of people who labor without the Lord just fine. 
So what is the psalm talking about here? There's different types of psalms. There's psalms of lament, of suffering, psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving. Here in Psalm 127 and 128, it's what we call wisdom psalms. So what is wisdom in scripture? One scholar put it this way, wisdom is referred to the skill of living in the way of eternal life. And so it means loving God and loving neighbor. Wisdom in the Bible is almost always linked also with the idea of righteousness. So much so that sometimes they they use it interchangeably. And so a wisdom psalm will tell us about right living and right faith. Similar to the wisdom books in the Bible, like Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or Job. Wisdom has to do with righteousness. Now, if you have one, you have the other. Take, for example, the vice president, right? He is at the same time a stand-in for the president of the United States and also the president of the Senate. If he is one, he is the other. In the same way, if you're talking about wisdom, you're talking about righteousness, for the most part, and vice versa. And, and like we said earlier, wisdom is, we're talking about the skill of living in the way of eternal life. It's not just about making good decisions, about whether or not to go to this school or that school or take this job or move here or move there, but it's, it's about living with eternity in mind, living with God in mind to pursue righteousness, to obey God, and to follow Him. And Psalm 127 makes a statement about this living, that laboring without the Lord is a lost cause. So what that means is is we put in the effort, but trust in God for the outcome. That success ultimately depends on the Lord, but it's not without our effort. And so this is how the passage begins, verses 1 to 2. Unless the Lord builds it, builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. The house here, it could mean house of the Lord, like the temple back then, but it could very well just mean a house, a a home to live in, or or even better yet, a family. Because he talks about children later on. And that's probably what the passage is is really talking about. You're trying to build a house, a home, a family. And the psalmist makes the bold claim that without God, it's a lost cause. It's useless. It's in vain. It is vain. But why though? Because to labor without the Lord is to live not in the way of eternal life. It's not the wisdom and righteousness that scripture talks about. At the same time, when we look at this passage, there's also this relationship between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. And so look at the passage. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So the Lord builds and we build. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So the Lord watches and we watch. Both and, not either or. In the first part, there's this act of creating, right? Building a house. In the second part, there's this act of conserving, uh, protecting the city. 
where the Lord provides the house and preserves the city or protects the city. And we also do so likewise. So success depends on the Lord ultimately, but it's not with it without our effort. So we put in the effort, but trust in God for the outcome. This, this tension between God's sovereignty and our responsibility that we feel is, is something that we have to hold together. It's easy for us maybe to swing too much to one extreme or the other. When we're talking about right living, right faith, wisdom, literature, wisdom, psalms, we, we end up with a picture of wisdom that is not like what's being presented in the scriptures. So on the one hand, we might start believing and acting out something like God helps those who help themselves. Maybe some of you have heard that before. You, you, basically, you put in the effort. Step up. That is enough. But it sounds like it's from the Bible. It sounds pretty motivational and inspirational, but it it's from Ben Franklin, or at least he's the one who a lot of people attribute it to. And Charles Spurgeon then comes in, he's a theologian, he comes in and corrects it saying, no, God helps those who cannot help themselves. That's grace. So on the one hand, we might go all the way to all effort and know God. On the other hand, it might be the opposite, you know, let go and let God. That's also actually not in the Bible. You know, at best, we're talking about surrendering, which is good, surrendering it to God. But if we misapply it and what we get is all God and no effort, we exchange taking up the cross for uh, sitting on the couch. And J.I. Packer says that Christian's motto should not be let go and let God, but trust God and get going. So in this first verse, we get a perspective of building a house, a family. God's sovereignty our responsibility. Maybe think of it this way. Imagine a rope going through two holes in the ceiling and, and over a pulley above. Now, if I'm going to kind of hold myself up, I, I need to hold on to both, both ends, right? If I hold to only one, but not the other, I fall. Now, this passage then goes on to give an example of laboring in vain. Verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And, and so in this verse, we're given a picture of someone who is putting in more effort. They're rising up early, they're going to bed late so that they can build up the house or watch over the city, raise up a family. There's this trope in Japanese anime, if you watch anime at all, called something like the heroic resolve. Right, so maybe you've picked up on this in some episodes. It's when the hero is facing insurmountable challenges. They're beaten down, they're weary, they're wounded, and they're facing a villain that is too powerful, too great. And all this challenges the hero's ability to continue. But somehow, some way, the hero digs deep, has a mental breakthrough, emotional breakthrough, whatever, strengthens their resolve is how they put it, and they put in maximum effort. And since it's anime, they give a really long, no more holding back speech that covers like half an episode. They somehow find an inner strength to, and they power up, whatever that looks like. And maybe if you're fans of Dragon Ball Z back in the day, they turn Super Saiyan, right? And then they overwhelm the villain after yelling and powering up for like 10 episodes straight. That's what I kind of think about here, right? Is that our approach sometimes? That we go harder, better, faster, 
stronger. We, we push ourselves, we put in more hours, we work more, we try and brute force life. Now, the passage still makes a point that there is bread. There is, there is output, but it's characterized by anxious toil. You know, all that effort that you're putting in, all that toil is worthless without the Lord. I think the psalmist is writing this psalm to challenge us to reorient ourselves to God, particularly when it comes to living life, building up our families. Sunflowers, at one point in their life cycle, they do this thing called heliotropism. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right. So the sunflower literally moves in response to the direction of the sun. It reorients itself to face the sun, to follow the sun. Likewise, I think that's what we're being called to do here. To labor for the Lord, not without the Lord. To put in uh, the effort, but trust in God for the outcome. And we're given a reason. God gives sleep to his beloved. All this extra effort uh, is in vain because God wants you to rely on him and to rest in him. These rely on and rest. When we sleep, we're trusting that God will work even when we stop working. Now, sure, there's, there's certain things that you probably still need to wake up early for or go to bed late for. That paper or presentation still needs to be finished. That sermon needs to be written. We're not going to wake up and find God wrote it for us, although that would be amazing. But are we characterized by anxious toil when we do so. And more specifically, since the context is still more appropriately building a house, a family, can we, can we sleep and rest in the Lord as we build? When Titus was born, Yin and I were in the maternity ward and we were given this fairly large room. We were each on separate beds and Titus was in the middle. Now, I, I'm usually a light sleeper, but for some reason, I don't know, I was out cold. And Titus ended up crying and I completely tuned him out. Maybe it was because I internalized a lot of things I heard from other parents like, oh yeah, you know, crying is normal and you just need to let them cry it out to sleep train them and, you know, they'll be okay, right? It'll be fine. And granted, now I know they're probably talking about a four-month-old, not a four-hour-old baby. But in any case, I was, I was completely out. And Yin was still recovering and she couldn't get out of her bed to either get him or get me. And she didn't have quite the strength to yell at me or to throw a pillow at me from across the room to wake me up. Now, I found this out later. And when I did, I couldn't sleep. I, ironically, I, I went in the opposite direction of this passage. I figuratively, I slept with one eye open. My, my heart rate was up. I was always alert. I slept, but I didn't rest. I was anxious to get up at the first sound of a cry or at the first ring of my phone because at that point I learned my lesson. I set it to max volume, put it next to my ear so Ying could call me from across the room. Now, clearly that was probably a situation where I had to, but here we're, we're talking about that, that anxious toil, the, the feeling of uncertainty, the anxiety, and the worry of what might happen if you don't do enough. Maybe you felt that with your family, with your children, with your parents. 
the psalmist reminds us not to take God out of the equation. And we can trust in God because children are a gift from the Lord. Verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb of reward. Again, we get this tension between our effort and God's outcome, right? Children are a fruit of the womb, right? Uh, they, that's what happens. Children happens when we sleep in bed. That seems to imply we did something to make that happen. And yet, at the same time, children are also a, a gift from God. The passage continues, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Uh, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He should not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The children are likened to arrows when they're young. They they have a purpose. They have a mission. And then when they grow older, they stand with their father at the gate. The place where justice was administered. And their father is not put to shame when you have all of these children who are raised up in the Lord supporting him, even maybe acting as eyewitnesses. So we get this tangible example of verses 1 to 2. Creation or provision, the house is is built. Conservation or preservation or protection, the city is watched over. Here, the children are a gift. They are an example of the house being built, being preserved. And as they grow older, they also preserve that house, the family at the gate. And so implied here is the raising up of these children, arrows that have a purpose, a mission. It's up to us to guide them. Jim Elliott, when he was writing to his parents, uh, when they heard he was going to missions, he referenced this passage and he said, remember how the psalmist described children? He said that they were as a heritage from the Lord and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly. All of them straight at the enemy's hosts. Laboring without the Lord is a lost cause. There's ultimately no success without God's blessing. But who are these blessings for? The next psalm tells us, Psalm 128. So one commentator put it this way, godly living produces good living. This is the connection that the psalm uh, draws. Uh, Psalm 128 is is another wisdom psalm. Now the thing that we, we have to keep in mind for wisdom literature is that it's not a guarantee not a, necessarily a promise, not a formula or an equation to get out a certain output. It, it speaks of living rightly and living faithfully. It is the skill of living in the way of eternal life. The wisdom Psalms, and particularly the ones that speak of all this blessing, also need to be read alongside other Psalms, like the Psalms of lament or suffering. And so in this psalm, we get a picture of the blessings that come from God to those who fear the Lord. And these are are blessings that are wonderful, fruitful, 
And they come now, but they also prefigure the eternal blessings that will definitely come. To fear the Lord is to obey the Lord. It's, it's two things. It's reverence and obedience. It's an acknowledgement of God's central place in our lives. And wasn't that what Psalm 127 was talking about? Unless the Lord builds it, it's in vain. It's receiving that revelation of him and then responding appropriately. And in doing so, we get a picture of blessings that come from God. Three things. God uh, brings blessings on the table, around the table, and beyond the table. And so there are blessings on the table. He says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. It's the, you know, kind of the opposite of the, the curse in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve disobeyed. They will enjoy the fruit of their labor. It's a blessing for their individual lives. And then there's also blessings, a picture of blessings painted around the table. God describes the wife and the children who sit around the table and they are like a fruitful vine or like olive shoots. It's a blessing for the family. Then there's also blessings beyond the table. It extends not just from an individual standpoint or a family standpoint, but it extends to the well-being of the entire community. So both passages, Psalm 127 and 128, they redirect our attention to God. The success, the blessing that comes from God and it comes to those who rely on him, rest in him, and obey him. And as we begin this new sermon series, as our congregation grows and we see more people getting married, children being born, we remember, unless the Lord builds it, those who build it labor in vain. Laboring without the Lord is a lost cause. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for this, these wisdom psalms that guide us, that point us to living in light of you, Lord. Help us to do so. Help us to center our lives on you, to build our lives in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.